the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is a Thursday, and we've got some great things to talk about today. Uh, Seth May from the Arkansas GOP has joined us by phone. J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group has joined us by phone. It's going to be uh, a whole lot of fun today because there's a lot to talk uh, statewide. There's a lot to talk national. Uh, And as everybody knows, I like to talk about the, uh, uh, well... The the, the the government that is the closest to you. So I really like to get into quorum courts and city government, but state government would do me. I'll do, I, I'm pretty happy about talking about uh, state government. Tomorrow, uh, State Senator Dan Sullivan will be on with me, uh, along with uh, Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett. Uh, we've been doing a little uh, Robert and, and, uh, and Chris and myself little FOI in here recently to find out the Department of Health, how many businesses that they have uh, gone out and um, and busted for not following COVID-19 uh, protocols. So I, I just got a spreadsheet early this morning that I'm looking forward to looking at uh, later on today. And I want to know the, you know, number one, I'd like to know why the Department of Health has is going out and and uh, asking for money from these folks for breaking uh, the rules when they're you know you're not given your day in court or anything. I, I'm, I'm I'm say that I'm a little bit upset about that is is kind of under um, stating the fact. But guys, do you think that this, the, the Department of Health has been given too much? Uh, uh, responsibility and power during this COVID-19 year that we've had? Let's start with you, Seth. What do you think? I think, Dave, when you look nationally across the nation, that's the feeling that many folks have and state by state. Um, I I do think the obvious answer to redress that, of course, is with legislation. And I think we've seen a couple of bills introduced in this cycle to look to curb some executive influence that's been delegated in years past. And that's really, uh, Dave, I think a trend that we see nationally certainly as well, uh, as well as locally over the years, has been a a transfer of power from legislative branches to executive branches. For instance, of course, nationally, the most obvious example is the war-making power, which is clearly a responsibility of Congress but has been given some pretty broad latitude to the chief executive, to the president, to make that decision. One little bugaboo of mine 
and somebody like Robert Steinbach will probably correct me on this, but we often say that in America we have co-equal branches. That is not written down anywhere, and the first time that that word co-equal is really invoked in the public discourse, as in the executive and the legislative branches are co-equal, is Richard Nixon in impeachment. And he said that Congress could not have papers of the president because they were co-equal. And if the legislative branch could compel him to give up papers, then the legislative branch would be stronger. And Richard Nixon was making the point that that wasn't true. And I think Richard Nixon was wrong on that. The legislative branch isn't co-equal to the executive. They're quite superior when you look at the powers. The legislative branch is the only one that can remove officials of the judiciary and of the executive branch. They're the only body that can remove members of their own branch. I think the founders, all of who would have been members of the legislative branch, had a vested interest in making sure that their state legislature, whether in Virginia or Pennsylvania, uh, was stronger than the governor of those territories and making sure that the National Congress uh, was more powerful than a president. We say president. But the actual pronunciation presided might be a more accurate role of what they saw of the presidency. But, of course, we're in the age post-Nixon of the imperial presidency. And I think some of that is reflected in the states where executives have a lot of power. But a lot of that is the intended powerful branch, again, not a co-equal one. The legislative branch has sometimes pushed those decisions to the executive so that the executive will make them and then they won't have to take the hit uh-huh. uh, of a strong stance. Yeah, and I, and I agree with, with what you're saying because it's the legislative branch who are making most of the decisions, if not all of the decisions, about what the executive and, and uh, or the legislative branch is making those decisions of how the executive and the judicial, uh, is, what kind of powers that, they have so uh we're going to talk more about that in fact i'm going to talk about it tomorrow i got uh, i've got uh, professor nadelson back on tomorrow uh who is a constitutional scholar and he'll be on at 7 30 tomorrow morning because i i want to know from him uh, and the big national story i think is this whole impeachment thing I think it's so totally unconstitutional, it's ridiculous. But how do you, what do you do? Do you take it right up to the Supreme Court and have them say it's it's unconstitutional and then uh, stop it? I mean, what what do they do? What what do you think is going to come out of this, uh, uh, Jr.? Do you think that uh, they're going to go go ahead with that, or do you think the Supreme Court steps in? I mean, look, the Chief Justice says I'm not going to take any part of it. And Leahy is going to run it. That's unconstitution, uh, unconstitutional in itself. Yeah, well, and so I know part of that is, you know, uh, I think constitutionally, uh, the chief justice, uh, because the president they are impeaching is not in office currently, uh, that relieves um, the duty of the chief justice to oversee the Senate side of the impeachment. Um, and so that's part of it is that he just doesn't have to do it because the president is no longer president. Um, Which brings I, up the I, point then can you impeach the man now that he's a private citizen? Hey, listen, I think that there's, I think there's a lot of questions um, 
that have been brought up with this as far as the constitutionality of all of it. Uh, you know, and I think that if this was a vote, if there was a vote in the Senate uh, or, you know, you took the temperature the day after um, the, uh, the riots at the Capitol, uh, I think there would be much more of a of an appetite among Republican senators to, you know, let's move forward with this and, and let's, you know, and I think a lot of them probably would have uh, voted yes. I think obviously uh, when you allow time to sort of um, uh, clear the mind a little bit and then push people back, that's what's happened. And I think you've seen that among some Republican senators as well. So, look, I, I could tell you, I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen uh, in Washington with this. I think there are a lot of questions. I do think that if they do move forward, ultimately it ends up at the Supreme Court. Um, and then whatever happens there, again, couldn't tell you either way. It's just a very uh, very uh, intriguing ordeal up there uh, with a lot of questions uh, surrounding what's taking place in the Senate. All right, well, you're suggesting that the Supreme Court can't, can't act until they've done in other words, is that is that what you're saying? I, I would think that they would. Ha- I mean, I don't know. I mean, I would I would expect uh, I think it would be interesting to have this conversation with your guests tomorrow. But, I, you know, I would expect that um, there would have to be some sort of cause uh, to get this in front of the Supreme Court uh, rather than having, you know, basically a uh, an opinion of the court before anything is actually done. Um, so I would expect there to have to be some sort of cause before they would, uh, you know, intervene or, or something of that nature. What do you think, J- or, uh, not, not Jr. but Seth, what do you think? Uh, Jr. is probably offended. I'm honored with the mix-up. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's very interesting, and I would, I would ask your expert tomorrow. It's my understanding, and I didn't know this before last week, some territorial constitutions— predating our union only allowed for impeachment once an official had left office. I think Virginia was that way. I don't understand the reasoning behind that, but I hear that may have been the case in other areas. And then historically, our Congress has moved to and did impeach a secretary of war, which is what we had before a secretary of defense, before we rebranded. And a federal judge, so uh, an, uh, an official of the executive branch, secretary of war, and an official of the judiciary as a federal judge moved to impeach, historically, those individuals in the past. Two instances of that after they had resigned their office. So, But once again, we're now talking about a president, and the Constitution lays out that the chief justice will provide over the impeachment of a president. Well— He's no longer the president. What complicates this all further is that the process was started while he was president, and now he isn't. It's at least the same Congress. You know, that would have been one thing if they moved in December with the old 112th Congress of the House and then transmitted those articles to the 113th Senate. That would have been another complication, but we we were halfway in this process because he was in office and now he's not. So I say all this to say, you know, we use the word unprecedented, but it really sort of is just the scenario that we're in. There's nothing to go off to really go off on. I would say on the smell test, 
it does not sound right, I think, to the average American and their understanding of impeachment that you can impeach somebody and remove them if that's the ultimate remedy is removal while they're not in office. But historically, we kind of have these gray areas where we did it to a cabinet secretary. We did it to a federal judge. And some state constitutions only allowed you to, con- to do impeachment in that fashion. But that is obviously not our modern understanding with Nixon and Clinton and President Trump. That's not our understanding of impeachment anymore. So uh, I, I think it's an interesting question. I think the motivation behind it at this point, several weeks later, the fact that Nancy Pelosi had Republicans who wanted to speak on the floor in favor of it and didn't allow them, Republicans who wanted to be impeachment managers and didn't allow them, says she doesn't want this to, uh, to be a bipartisan impeachment vote. Well, what does that tell you? Why would she not want that to be the case? Why would she not want to make the strongest appeal to Senate Republicans by having a Republican House member that voted as a manager? And and I think then you've got to ask, well, it's all about politics. And that would clearly be the only answer why you would do the way do this the way the speaker has done it. All right. Going to take a break. Come back. We'll talk a little bit more about this. And I want to talk about some uh, concurrent resolutions over at the uh, State Capitol dealing with the emergency powers of the governor. Want to talk about that. And uh, there is a bill winding its way through. We can talk a little bit about Stand Your Ground. It's gotten through the Senate. It's on. It's over in the House now. So uh, we got a lot to talk about yet. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, one uh, FM, The Answer. All right, back with you, J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group with us, as well as Seth uh, is with us, May. Uh, from the Arkansas GOP, uh, we've been talking about can they go through with this impeachment? And it would seem to me now that the president's not the president anymore, that the way that you would proceed with this, if you're going to go after him from what it sounds like to me, that uh, the articles of impeachment that came to the Senate is sedition, uh, that, uh, that the Department of Justice uh, would bring some type of a uh, law uh, suit against the, uh, you know, retired president, so to speak, Trump. I mean, I'm I'm not for that either, but I'm just saying constitutionally, it seems like it's got to happen outside the political realm. So uh, the, the Department of Justice would be the one to make that decision. And I'm sure they, they'd be sharpening their swords just as well as what uh, Nancy Pelosi has been sharpening hers. Would you guys agree with that? Let's start with Seth. Well, I was going to toss to Jr. because I, I had kind of filibustered there for a while. But, uh, no, I, there were a couple Republicans, too, I believe, who said they would have supported impeachment. They thought what the president did in his speech on January 6th would amount to an impeachable offense, but they thought the articles were so hastily written, so narrowly written, so partisanly written that they couldn't vote to impeach, and they did not. And and that kind of went back to the point I was making in the last block. Pelosi had the opportunity to have Republicans speak on the floor in favor of impeachment and to name Republican managers. There were two, again, in particular, that offered to do that, and they denied them floor time. 
They denied them the ability to be a first-ever bipartisan impeachment manager. And if, and if Pelosi really believed this was so egregious that everybody in the nation should be on the same page, why couldn't she allow people to be on the same page? Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm just thinking that, in my mind, the Department of Justice should be bringing the charges against, you know, uh, former President Trump if anybody's going to bring charges. And um, I, th- I think that is the way that you would deal with this. Of course, again, I'm going to have Nadelson, Bob Nadelson on tomorrow. Uh, Professor Nadelson is a constitutional scholar, and we'll talk to him. Uh, about this specifically and i guess we're all kind of out here whistling in the dark because we don't know the the constitution the way he knows the constitution so i guess we'll just have to wait and see jr yeah i i mean i think that's look there are much smarter folks than the uh three of us talking about this and i think it'll be combined good to have some <laughs> combined that's right some clarity on it, but, but look, here, here's the situation. I mean, what happened uh, at the Capitol uh, back on the sixth was, I mean, I, you know, I, I think we all agree was a was a was a historical event in our country's history, um, and we'll look back on it for a long time. Just the images and things like that, and I think what happened there, there was just a, there were a lot of um, strong emotions following what took place. And, and I believe that there should have been, but I think that what happened was a quick series of events where you had the, you know, uh, the speaker of the house, uh, with bipartisan support, uh, you know, that there was, you know, I remember them still thinking that talking about this, you know, whether or not they could have time to impeach the president, uh, before he left office. And so you just kind of had this chain reaction of events it happened very quickly. Um, and so the House took it up. They impeached the president. Here's the situation in the Senate, though, now. You need 17 Republicans uh, to vote to, uh, you know, find the president guilty uh, of these the articles of impeachment um, and to remove him from office, uh, which, again, yes, we know that he is technically gone. But basically what would uh, essentially um, – disallow his ability to run for uh, president again. Um, and that's 17 votes. I don't I mean, it needs two thirds votes to do it. I don't think they have anywhere close to 17 Republicans who are willing to do that. And so I say all that, Dave, because, yes, I believe you're right. I think the DOJ is probably uh, I think there is there is some <laughs> Some floor, some room, some like, you know, copy machine area that somebody in there is working hard to figure out uh, how to go after the former president. I believe that. I also think there's going to be legal issues in the state of New York um, to go after the president. So, look, this is just sort of the tip of the iceberg. Um, and, and I do believe we'll see more, uh, you know, more. Uh, charges at some point uh, and obviously very politically geared uh, towards uh, former President Trump uh, over the next several months. And this is just, you know, it's just uh, part of the story, I guess I'd say. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. I, I just I don't know enough to be able to speak with authority on this. 
other than what I've read and, and what I've looked at in the Constitution. And I don't see anything in the Constitution that says, hey, if you don't like the former president, go after him. I mean, if that's the case, could they reopen now some of the things that we know about what Bill Clinton was up to? Can we reopen and go after him, too? I mean, it's, it's to me, it, it's really we've got enough partisanship in this country without doing that. That that you're talking about poisoning the the well unbelievably at that point and and that does bother me yeah it, it definitely sets a bad precedent yeah i think so go ahead jr we got uh, about no, a minute no yeah i mean i agree with with uh seth i also think the longer this goes the worse it is for the republican party um because this is a time to sort of uh, self-reflect a bit and, and then move forward. And if it's, uh, you know, if it's not with, with Trump, that's certainly understandable, but it's just, you got to move forward. We can't just sit here and just basically relitigate everything that happened over the last four years. As long as we do that, it puts the Republican party in a very difficult situation. All right, you guys go get yourself a cup of coffee. We'll be back in about five minutes we got to get the news in and get some uh, pay some bills, and then I'll be back with more of the show. we got J.R. Davis on from the Gilmore Group, and we've got Seth Mays on from the Arkansas Republican Party. We're trying to make sense of some of the things that are going on in Washington, and that's not an easy thing to do in these times that we're living in right now. When we come back, though, we're going to turn our attention to local politics. Stay tuned. Okay, back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about Hillcrest Jewelry. Uh, Eric Coleman, looking forward to your call or to your visit at his uh, his jewelry store. His store is located at 3000 Cavanaugh Boulevard, Suite E. Uh, stop by, visit with him. He opens up about 10 o'clock. He'll be there. Great guy. Very nice. Uh, here's what he, he's really good at, listening about what it is you're wanting. And you know what he's going to tell you if you're looking at a ring or a necklace? What does the receiver want out of that ring or that necklace? So you should go in there knowing what they're wanting. What kind of gemstones? Is it just colored stones? Is it diamonds? You know, what kind of cut a diamond and things of that nature? He's going to ask you about then if it's something specific you want to build for that person, which they can do right there at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. they got computer equipment that allows them to de- develop a completely unique ring or necklace for you. And then uh, uh, Eric can put that together for you. He's an artisan. He's very good at this kind of stuff. Uh, he'll do it for you. But you got to call or you got to visit. Visiting, again, 3000 Cavanaugh Boulevard here in Little Rock, the Hillcrest Designer Jewelry, or call him. And call after 10, 501-246-3655. All right, joining us uh, here with uh, Seth and, and with JR is uh, Luke McCoy. Uh, Luke is a uh, JP on the Quorum, uh, Pulaski Quorum Court. And uh, you guys had an interesting uh, vote the other night, uh, Luke. Why don't you give us the background on that? and then tell us how the vote went. Sure. Thanks, Dave, for having me on. Yeah. Hope you can uh, hear me well. I hear you fine. So if uh, folks, if your listeners read the Arkansas Democrat Gazette article, and if they happen to read the uh, 
that other magazine that occasionally puts out uh, uh, news that mainly smears conservatives. I think it's called the Arkansas Times, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, basically, a member of our quorum court, uh, Miss Lily McMullen, she represents uh, parts of Little Rock Incorporated City, proposed a resolution that commended the Pulaski County election staff for handling the election so well. I think to some extent it was because of COVID and all the increased absentee, uh, you know, mail-in ballots and things were different and they had to pivot and be flexible and things like that to accommodate voting. Um, But the other part of it was to condemn two, well, uh, I guess her resolution that she amended condemned uh, mainly one of the election commissioners our former chair of the Pulaski County Election Commission, Evelyn Gomez. So obviously being an election commission uh, and having uh, Republicans in charge on the state level, uh, every county gets two out of three of their election commissioners for their county election commission uh, to be Republican because Republicans are in the majority of the state government. So it was uh, rather odd. There, there's been a lot of drama that's been building up to this point. Uh, going back over a year when Judge Hyde basically took control of the Pulaski County election staff. And so I didn't so much focus on the part, Dave, where they were condemning the Pulaski County election commissioners, or or especially Mrs. Uh, Gomez. I focused mainly on the uh, commending the work of the Pulaski County election um, staff, election commission staff. Uh, because if people don't know, there were a lot of mistakes. And I'm not just saying that generally. I'm not just saying that because that's what supposedly happened in Georgia and other states, and I'm just jumping on the bandwagon, Dave, mm-hmm. uh, Seth and JR. I mean, if, if y'all don't know, there were there was depositions. Uh, Brian Poe admitted uh, losing ballots, couldn't remember where ballots were. Yeah, There were uh, several times where pe- uh, election staff members were having to be uh, told not to do things by the election commissioners. People were decertified from touching live ballots. I mean, this is not just like, oh, we got one ballot, you know, one precinct mixed up, which did happen too, by the way. Uh, it's not like they just got one precinct messed up and people had to, you know, not vote. But, I mean, there were military and overseas ballots that weren't counted, that had to be discarded. They couldn't be considered provisional because of the mistakes. Now, okay, some people might be thinking, well, you know, you know, most races are decided by 10 percentage points, hundreds of votes. Well, okay, hold on. At least two state races in Pulaski County were decided by less than 30 votes each. One was decided by 12. I think the other one maybe by 24 or so, something like that. So, you know, if you're one of those legislators, um, or I'm sorry, if you're one of those candidates, you're feeling pretty uncertain about, you know, the election commission staff and everyone uh, that's going on down there for the election. So, uh, basically, this member of the Quorum Court, Lily McMullen, decided to commend the work of the election staff and condemn the politicization, I can't even say that word, of the uh, election commissioner, uh, Ms. Gomez, who recently stepped down, by the way, uh, from or uh, did not run for re-election, I guess. So uh, this, this resolution was unnecessary. It was uh, uh, very much political, um, and I think it was not well thought out. Well, I got to tell you what, I had Evelyn on many a time during, uh, before, 
and right after the election. And you're right, there were all kinds of crazy things going on. And how Poe just kind of walks through this whole situation unscathed. But I understand that the judge uh, was uh, behind him, and I guess that's part mm-hmm. of the process uh, at times in Pulaski County. I mean, Pulaski County has had problems in the past uh uh, with the whole voting thing, Luke, uh, what are you, what is the quorum court saying now about this? Are are there any things that you guys want to do? Is there any study that you're asking the judge to start to find out why these problems occurred? Well, I wish we could do something significant. Uh, right now, the quorum court is controlled ten to five by. Uh, Demo- Democrats, Democrats to Republican ratio. And by the way, Dave, the resolution failed. Uh, I want everyone to, to know that. I should have right. mentioned that. The resolution failed eight to seven. Uh, basically, one member was absent, a Republican member. Uh, so that's that's an automatic no. And then you had uh, three other Democrats vote no, in addition to the five, uh, the other four that were present. So we barely beat, beat it back. But to answer your question, the solution more or less comes from uh, the state government. And I'm told by a few legislators, even a couple yesterday, and some other folks like who litigated the uh, Jim Servillo uh, race and, and others are working on legislation to help clarify state law so that, uh, you know, maybe the election commission is, is headed up by someone else. Uh, so it should be able to prevent county elected officials from basically taking election staff and telling them not to interact with election commissioners and and so on and so forth because that, that, that's what happened and i you know i wasn't there with all this personal first-hand witness i'm sure there was a lot of um, people being misunderstood and so on but the election commissioners had a duty to uh, oversee the election and the, the county judge with his action over a year ago didn't allow them to fulfill their duties yeah i mean it, it was the judge's fault as far as i'm concerned well it, it that's going to be really difficult for you guys to do something about. As you said, you're at a decided disadvantage because of your minority status. Yeah, and, you know, what it looks like to a lot of folks on on the right, including myself, is, look, the Democrats have lost state control. The Democrats have lost um, uh, all, you know, more and more quorum court seats across the county, across the state, excuse me. And so... This is like their own little niche area, Pulaski County, that they can hold on to. That's sort of like the last stand, if you will, uh, speaking militarily. Mm-hmm. So they're doing whatever they can to retain control. And I, I got to tell you, they ran the state for 100 and some odd, you know, 150 years or whatever. Yeah. They're clever. They're smart. They've been doing this for a long time. They know kind of the, the rocks to uncover. They know the tricks to play. They know the rules to take advantage of. And. And, you know, for the most for the most part, some of them have been within the law, even. And so that's why those state legislators are working to make the law more clear and or just completely make it uh, someone else's responsibility, for example, to oversee election commission staff. Well, Luke, thanks for getting up early in the morning and talking to us. Uh, J.R., Seth, either one of you have a question for Luke? No, I'll, I'll just jump in, Luke, and, and say thank you. We here at the state party were... We're certainly involved in, in all of what had gone on post the election here in Pulaski County. And in fact, yours truly had his name invoked in a couple of those depositions you talked about. So a lot of unforced errors that didn't have to happen. And like you said, 
I can say we here at the state party are are ready to back legislators when it comes to some of these changes. And you're right. And a lot of that is the Democrats, particularly here in Pulaski County, which is about the only place they exist anymore, are upset that Republicans uh, control the majority um, on the commission, two of the three commissioners in every county, and they want to do anything they can to chip away at that. And it's our job to fight back on that. And we are doing that. And that's going to upset them more, but uh, we don't care about upsetting them anymore, I don't think. (laughs) JR, yeah. you got any questions? No, I would just say, I mean, I appreciate, um, uh, you know, just sharing that story and, and kind of what's going on. I mean, I think the good news for Republicans and conservatives actually is that all of this took place, uh, you know, and that there was a spotlight on this for, uh, you know, that, that wouldn't have otherwise been there. Uh, and so I think moving forward, there is, I really do believe there's going to be a concerted effort. Um, to hold um, you know, for, for more accountability, to hold uh, you know uh, this sort of institution, if you will, accountable for for something we all take very very uh, seriously. And so, you know, horrible craziness that happened with uh, um, uh, the election commission. But again, I do think it was something that kind of pulled the veil back and, and will help people focus and, and watch it more closely moving forward. All right. Guys, thanks so much. Luke, thank you for joining us today on the Dave Ellswick Show. If there's anything new on this story, feel free to give me a call, all right? Will do. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye now. All right. So uh, I think this is a positive uh, of what has happened because you had had some Democrats vote negative on that uh, piece of legislation, and by voting against it, they voted for those Republicans who were on the election commission. So we appreciate them saying that they even understood you got to have clean elections. And you can't let that stuff uh, continue. Guys, stay, stay with me. We'll be back. We got more to talk about. I want to talk about uh, what's happening at the Capitol on the, uh, the, uh, the general meeting that's going on. And I want to talk about hammer and uh, Gazaway's bill. We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. The Ultimate Retirement Planning Checklist is out by uh, David Lucas. I've been ballyhooing this now for weeks, and if you haven't gotten your copy of it, you need to get a copy of it, especially if you're moving into that time frame where you've got to get serious about what you're going to do for retirement. You know, I'm, I'm getting really close, and I can tell you what, some of the questions that are asked in this uh, brochure are, uh, you know, kind of will i have money or won't i have money when i retire and for how long will it last it's important things to be uh, considering so get your copy of it uh be one of the first 10 callers today get it absolutely free 501-222-3315 is the number 501-222-3315 or go on davidlucasfinancial.com you can do it there as well. Investment advisory services offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. Uh, by the way, guys, today the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just something to keep in mind 75 years ago, but at least we're still remembering it. I mean, that needs to always be remembered. All right, with that, with that said, uh, 
What do you guys think about Hammer and Gazaway's bill to start pulling back a little bit uh, of uh, the executive power uh, and redefining what to do during an emergency in the state of Arkansas? I think this is a good move. You let's start off with you, Jr. Yeah, I mean, I think it was. I think it's inevitable. I mean, this was an unprecedented. 2020 was an unprecedented year for the state, for the nation, for the world. Um, and I think that uh, I think the governor Hutchinson, in, in my humble opinion, uh, I think he he has really shepherded our state through this um, in in a terrific way. Uh, we never uh, shut down the state. Uh, I know there were some things that closed, but unlike the pressure from the outside uh, that we're trying to get the governor to shut down the state as a whole, um, that never happened. Um, I think this week we are, we're starting to see uh, the vaccine numbers go up and the cases in Arkansas go down. I say all that to say that this was an unprecedented deal. I believe the governor did a terrific job handling it, but as in any situation, um, you know, things bubbled up that we would have never known had it not been for a global pandemic. And so you have legislators looking at some of those emergency powers uh, moving forward. The funny thing about it, there is this group, and I think, you know, you just mentioned uh, Representative Gasway and I believe uh, Senator Hammer, um, who are doing this in, in I believe, a very uh, uh, respectful way and, and in a way that's working with uh, the executive branch um, to find some, some common ground there. And I think that's terrific. Uh, I think that's the way it should be. Um, you know, but also at the end of the day, uh, when problems arise for whatever reason, you have to address them. And I think that's what the uh, legislative branch is doing at this point. And what, what's your thought on this, Seth? Yeah, you know, I agree a lot with what Jr. said. I, I think everybody just feels that they want to be more involved in this, and I don't know that they're wrong. And, in fact, I don't think they're wrong in feeling that. You saw yesterday on the Senate floor Senator uh, Sullivan from Jonesboro say, listen, he agreed with – he said what most of what the governor did, just wanted some legislative involvement in that process. And I totally understand that. The other side of the coin, though, is if you think back to last year, if we would have called a – a special session to address many of these topics. There would have been those that complained that we paid 135 legislators three days at least per diem to do a lot of things that the governor uh, could have just done himself if you had looked at other states. So I think this is all a very natural process. It just reminds me so much of what it is to be a legislator and executive. You can have your own platform that you run on, but you're really judged by the moment that you're given. When I worked on the governor's reelection campaign, something like this was never even really on our mind. But yet when you look back at the eight years of the Asa Hutchinson governorship, this is probably going to be the first chapter. And, and that was just not, uh, like I said, at all on our minds two, three years ago, looking to reelection. Reminds me of President Bush, who Bush 43, who ran on the platform that, you know, that guy, Bill Clinton, is kind of really involved all over the world. And we need to really focus domestically on the homeland. Well, September 11th kind of changed that. And so, so much of executive leadership and legislative leadership is responding to the crises as they happen. It's why 
listening to, to you know, what somebody's platform is and what the issues they want to run on is so important. But when you evaluate who you want to vote for, you also have to think about the person and their temperament and what, what is their experience when put under pressure. And it makes those, I think, a situation like this makes those skills uh, all the more valuable. But to your point, I think this is a very natural process. And like JR said, it's being done in, in a very respectful way, as it should be. And I think more of that is good moving forward. I think that uh, another thing that is out there that I think is important for us to be watching, uh, there is a uh, lawsuit that's going to be in front of the Arkansas Supreme Court dealing with uh, making sure that our legislative branch never loses their power like they have over this last year. They they really were taken out of out of the uh, the mix, so to speak, and and I had some real problems with that, and it's why I got involved with that lawsuit. Uh, that's not a bad thing either. I think that that needs to be brought up and put forth in front of the people so that they can see what exactly was happening. Would you guys agree with that? Look, I mean, I I have my uh, my thoughts on the lawsuit, and and look, it's. Uh, the legislative and the executive branch, there's friction there. There should be. I think it was set up to be that. Um, you know, look, at, at the end of the day, when this pandemic hit in March and everything in the world started shutting down uh, and there was a need for quick and nimble reactions to everything taking place, uh, the governor uh, was working with the legislative branch, um, and and the legislative branch also signed off on uh, a smaller number uh, of of legislators who could sign off on things more quickly to represent the bodies. Um, I mean, so there was a lot of there was a lot more cooperation uh, in the beginning than I think some people remember. And I also think we have to underscore the fact, Dave, that this was an unprecedented time. No one had a clue all of this was you know, going to happen at the beginning of March. And so there needed to be some of that fast action. Oh, I agree. Um, so, again, yeah, so I, I get it. But I just think that there's uh, it was a long year uh, with a lot of unprecedented uh, uh, occurrences. Well, it's all come to a head. We're going to start seeing what the court has to say and then what the legislative body has to say as well. And then uh, we'll talk about it. Seth, thanks you for being okay. here. JR, thank you for being here. We'll talk to you next Thursday here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Joe and Duck are up next. We're talking cars. Let's move into the 7 o'clock hour. 
Uh, Joe is here from Joe's Garage. Joe Sharpen, he's going to spend the hour with us. He'll take your car questions at 823-0965. 823-0965. Duck is not here today. He's a little under the weather. He's taking care of some things. He'll be back with us hopefully next week. Uh, if I count the days right, he should be here next week. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm sure he will, Dave. Get him back, get him back in here and, and let him uh, uh, help those diesel truckers out there. Sure. Because he does a lot for those guys. Unbelievable what the work that he does uh, for the, the big 18-wheelers out there. So 823-0965 is the local number. 823-0965. Uh, your opportunity to call in and say hey i'm having this problem or that problem what do you think it might be and uh, joe will try to help you out with it we'll start off with a 1996 and that's an old car now i know it's hard to believe when i say 1996 we're talking 20 odd years ago but uh, 1996 toyota 4runner sr5 six cylinder 3.4 liter engine and here's what the guy says uh, Joe, I have recently been having issues with the battery light coming on and going off intermittently. I tested the alternator and battery, and they are both good. I smell a burning motor electrical odor and assumed it was the alternator. While inspecting the wires tonight to see if there, there was anything messed up, I noticed part of the relay box was melted. After opening it, the wire coming into the relay box was burnt, and the ABS relay fuse was burnt. The ALT fuse looks visibly okay at this point. Any idea of what might be the cause and the remedy for this? Well, the a, the ABS being burned up, that the analog brake system has got a what they call a hydraulic pump on it. And I'm sure that that pump drawed too many amps and probably is what melted the relay in the box. Okay. Because every time you start that car, it does a self-test. It runs that pump. So either that relay got hot because of a contact issue or not plugged in good or a little water intrusion and melted. But most likely the pump motor, by the age of the vehicle, tells me the pump motor is probably bad. Okay. A uh, remedy for that is would be, one, to uh, replace the fuse relay center. going to have to do that because it's melted. And then number two... You know, you have cause and effect. The melted box is the effects of something drawing too many amps. So I'm going to say probably end up having to replace the analog unit. Okay. Yeah. Does that, that mean you got to go and maybe and replace the whole fuse box? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's no there's no pieces to put in there. It's all or nothing. Okay. Uh, that age vehicle, 26 years old. Chances of getting a new one are probably slim to none. So he's probably going to be at the salvage yard somewhere trying to purchase a used one. And be calling Sonny's. Yeah. Most likely. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell you what, that comes in handy. I've used Sonny's a lot. I mean, got a motor through him, got a transmission through him, yeah. all kinds of stuff. Now, that particular vehicle is, is what they call a, a a very good vehicle because that's why they're still out there today. Uh, people covet those because of their longevity and toughness, I promise you. That's a, it's an excellent vehicle, but... He's got issues, and he just got to deal with it. So, you got to make a decision then. Yep. Do you keep it or do you sell it? And I'm going to I'm going to give you my my thoughts on that. Today is Thursday. 
Mm-hmm. Monday, I went to Arkansas Credit Union and I paid my car off. All right. So now I own my car. All right. It's over 10 years old. I I own my car now. I'm, I'm happy that yeah. that's the case. And uh, I was talking to the missus and she says, well, what do you want to get now and to replace it with? I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't want to replace it at all. Now you got to think I'm thinking of it this way. And, and there's a lot of other people that are thinking the same way I am, I believe. I believe Joe thinks this way, too. To go out and buy a new Acadia would be really expensive. Yes. Okay. And, and I mean, it was expensive when I bought this one. I bought it the second year that it was on market. Uh, the Acadia was, I bought it in 2010. I think it came out in 2009. And uh, it was over $600 a month for the car payment. If I had to do it over, I wouldn't have done it that way. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I got swept up in the emotion of it. Yeah. Went out and drove it and fell that in love with it. new car fever. Yeah. Fell in love with it when I drove it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, turned around and uh, with that car, and I've driven it now for, it's going on 11 years at the end of, uh, in the middle of next month. And I'm, I'm of the opinion that why do I want a car payment? And they said, well, Dave, it's going to break down. Yeah, it'll break down, but... Even if I spend $2,000 to fix it, I still am going to be ahead at the end of the year because I'm not paying as much as I would monthly for a new car payment for the most part. If you pay 600 a month, total of those payments at the end of 12 months is $7,200. You can yeah. do a lot of repairs for $7,200. You better believe it. And I like the car. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one thing I need to get fixed. I kissed one of the poles, the poles down yeah. here in the parking garage, and, and I got a right front quarter panel that needs to be fixed. I'll get to that. Or maybe I won't. I don't know. I've kind of gotten used to it now. <laughs> but the bottom line is I can save a lot of money by just holding on to that car and keeping it running. Sure. And you do a good job of fixing it. Yes, sir. I do my best. You know that. Yep. And it gets it gets done. So... You know, that's the question that you always got to ask. And here's here's my other thing. If you don't, if you want to make a, a true decision, don't do it by walking on the uh, the new car lot and driving a couple of cars and say, well, what do I think about this and what do I think about that? Because they'll always make you say, yeah, I'd like to have this. I get that question asked to me a lot, Dave, and I've answered it before. I don't have the answer for everybody about whether to, you know, a major repair on a car, two, three, four thousand dollars, whatever it is. Maybe it's multiple repairs than an accumulation of B three right. or four thousand dollars. And 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 I always tell folks that. So what do you? What would you do? I said it doesn't matter what I would do. What would you do? There's Twenty ways to look at. it. I don't know what's right for you. And I give them a few scenarios. You know, I say you know you payment is this much a month. You're going to spend this much on it. If you Decide to fix it. What's you know? A lot of times a car will come in and they'll have a engine failure on it, and I don't get to drive the vehicle, so I don't know what kind of condition the rest of it's in. How's the transmission shifting? How's the rear end sound? How is this working? That working? If the engine won't run, there's a lot of things you can't check. Can't check the air conditioning system. Can't check the charging system. You know the power steering. And things go on and on. So you have to rely and, and talk to the customer and say, well, what all have you had done in the past? Mm-hmm. 
And then I can help them make a decision about whether or not they need to spend that money. And, yes, there's been times I told them, I said, no, I can look at the condition of this vehicle just by looking at it and say, you don't want to spend this money on it. And it's time to get something different or new. And because I don't want to take their money and them feel like that I took advantage of them and talked them into it because I don't want to. And the first thing I tell them, if you want shiny and new, go buy it. This is never going to be shiny and new again. I can make it start and run go down the road forever. But it's going to look just the way it looks right now. Well, mine doesn't look bad. I mean, that's the key. My car looks okay. Well, sure. You're happy with it. Yeah. Front right quarter panel. (laughs) And and so I try and help folks make good decisions about whether or not they should spend the money. And, you know, the, the biggest thing out there, just remember, and this goes for everybody, if you go buy a new car... There is sales tax involved in that. Yes. And a lot of times, the price of the sales tax is two or $3,000. And if your repair on your car and it's in good condition is less than two grand, you probably ought to fix it if it's paid for. Because yeah. you're going you're gonna to spend that on sales tax. And, and I tell folks right up front, if you pay sales tax in the state of Arkansas, nobody knows where your money went. If you pay me to fix it, at least you know I earned it. Yeah, well, that, and and that's the key of, of what we're talking here. You, if if a car has been maintained, and this is why another point of this, get yourself a technician in a shop that you go to all the time because they enter it in to the computer, and you'll have a list of all the repairs and everything sure. that's been taken care of uh, for your automobile, and and you'll you'll know and make sure you do those oil changes on time and uh, the rotations on time. There's some responsibility that goes into owning an automobile and will keep you out of a lot of trouble if you do those things. If you don't maintain a new one and if and you have an engine failure from lack of oil changes, it don't matter whether the engine's 10 years old or two weeks old. If you don't maintain it, you're going to wear it out sooner than what you should have and, and it's going to fail. So, you, you know, you just kind of remember that even if you buy a new one, maintenance is not covered under the warranty. Tires and brakes and oil changes. Well, a lot of places they say they give you free oil changes. There's nothing free. That was, it was packed into the price. It was all folded in. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So just remember all right. that, that factory warranty doesn't cover maintenance items. All right. Just, just some words to the wise. And uh, you who are out there that probably are over 40 have already thought about those things. You who are under 40 are learning about those things. And so we're trying to give you some good advice here. Yes. All right. 823-0965. That's the number. 823-0965. Breaking news. Just now, Cloris Leachman has passed away. She was 94 years old. Mm -hmm. So she had a good life. Yes. All right. Just so you know. And she was a great actress. No doubt about that. Burst on the scene in the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she's passed on now. All right, let's get a break in. Uh, while we got a time to talk about it, we're talking about repairs to your automobile uh, or to your pickup truck or to your diesel. Uh, bottom line, Joe, you are a bumper-to-bumper certified service center. You use the parts that you get from bumper-to-bumper. There's a reason why you use those parts. Well, they're quality parts, Dave, and, and- – that our program offers a two-year, twenty-four thousand-mile warranty, parts and labor nationwide. Uh, you know they have a big distribution center here in Little Rock, and uh, Bumper to Bumper is a, is a fantastic company. They're privately owned. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's been around for a hundred years, Dave. They okay. just they just had their 
hundred anniversary a couple of years ago. And so you want to you want to buy parts from folks that know and that you know and you trust. They're not going to go away shortly and they're going to be here forever these guys are here you know and if i need to talk to one of them i can pick the phone up and call vice president president of the company and have a one-on-one conversation and uh, that means a lot you know it, it it really does and uh in today's world with the corporate and stuff most of the time you're you're going through a phone tree and you never get to start to talk to the man at the top well i can talk to the man at the top yeah and, and voice my concerns and and you know there's a remedy fix there and he takes care of it and it's done and that's the way it happens dave and that's uh-huh. why we're in bed with those guys and and we want to share that with everybody that we work on their car at the certified service centers that it's good folks we do a good job and you know most certified service centers that i deal with here in the local area we're all on the same page we're all on this radio show with you yeah you know and uh that means that we we share information, we share tools, we share uh, knowledge, and, and that it's not just one shop. But if you doing, if you come into a local CSC shop, you you've got more than one shop backing you. And, and you know the big thing about it is, and we preach this: we test, not guess. We having trouble diagnosing one, we pick up the phone and call some other guys. Say, hey man, this is what I got going on. Have you ever seen that before? So we share knowledge and and technical assistance. And and that means a lot because we test, not guess. And you know what that means at the end of the day, Dave? They fix. They don't work on cars. We don't work on cars and trucks. We <laughs> fix cars and trucks. All right. We got to get a break in. We got a call coming in. 823-0965 the number to call. Talk to Joe here on our time with him, uh, keeping your car in good working order. All right. Frank is in Bryant. Let's get to Frank and talk to him. Joe, here's Frank. Frank, how are you? What's your problem? Hey, Frank, what's up? Uh, I'm doing fine. I have a 2010 Santa Fe with 87,000 miles, and it says in the manual to replace the serpentine belt at 90,000. I just can give me a ballpark figure of what that costs to have it replaced. The belt and the installed, you're probably going to spend around 100, 120 bucks. Okay, uh, that's, that's a good deal. Where are you at? <laughs> 5601 Crystal Hill Road, North Little Rock. If you're out there in Benton, yeah, you 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 are in Benton, correct? Bryant, Bryant. Uh, I'm in Bryant, yeah. Yeah, you can go over and see Duck at at at, at his place, and he can do it for you too. But you know, the belt's about sixty bucks, and 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 that that interval is correct. It's it's seven years or ninety thousand miles, whichever occurs first. Okay, all right. Also, uh, the other guys at Sullivan out on uh, yes, Cannon Hills. Ken can take care of you too. Yeah, okay. yeah, he does All a right. good job as well. Ken's a good guy. Okay. One other question. Is there something I'm sort of, where I can't leave the car, is I can't do that something one day or something, or is that uh, need to I bet, overnight deal? Or? I bet you if you uh, call, you can uh, bring it in, make an appointment, and wait on it while they do it. It's about a, okay. it's about, it's less than an hour's job. Okay. All right. That's very good. I appreciate your help. Thank you, Frank. All right. Thanks, Thank Frank. You. Appreciate your call. Here, an hour? Mm-hmm. Less than an hour. It took him almost a week to do my Acadia. Just not not to just put a belt on it, Dave. Oh, okay. The serpentine belt. Oh, the serpent. Okay. Yes. Okay. I that's, was thinking that's a lot timing different than belt. timing chains. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whole lot different. I misunderstood. Yeah. I apologize. It's okay. <laughs> For the Acadia, I'm going to tell you what you get those chains. Yeah. Somebody said there's three of them on there. I heard there yes. are two, but there's three. No, there's three. 
Okay, and then you got to get the tensioners and all of that. What else do they, do you ask? Well, you usually buy people to get you, buy, you buy a timing chain component kit, which is the chains, the guides, the tensioners, the cam phasers, and and all that. And it comes in a kit, and you install it all. So, is that also the water pump is in that area? And they well, say water pump on, on that engine is on the front of it. You can put the pump on when you do that as a maintenance item, depending on you know the age and all that. Or the reason for the failure, but if it's already had one on it, you won't want to do that. But, right. You know, kind of overkill. But we also look at all the drive belts on the front of it, too, as far as, you know, the serpentine belt and stuff like that. Stuff you take off in the process of doing that job. And uh, if you see an issue with it or if it's an age-related thing, you go ahead and put that on because the labor's paid. You just have to buy the part. Yeah, let, let's talk about that because a lot of people don't consider this. And that is if you're getting – look, if they're going to tear into your dash – and take it out or they're mm-hmm. going to tear into your motor and take the whole front of your motor off basically then it just makes sense that you check everything out because if your car is 10 years or older probably age is something to take into consideration or if you got to change uh, you know plugs one plug goes bad you might want to look at all the plugs at that point sure same thing with the ignition coils you know uh, a lot of things on automobile yeah i got multiple love like spark plugs ignition coils and so on so on if one of them fails because it's 10 years old or 120,000 miles on it or 130,000 miles they're all the same age if you put one on there it's probably a good idea to go ahead and or get prepared to put another one on pretty quick or go ahead and do them all at the same time and yes when you tune one up you know a tune-ups go today average most automobiles will go 100,000 miles before it's due for a tune-up right but that doesn't mean that there are things in the interim that are tune-up related that don't need to be done. Like, for instance, when we do an oil service, we inspect the air filter and we clean the mass airflow sensor and we do periodic maintenance items on them and do a good job of inspecting everything to try and avoid a breakdown or a broke belt or whatever. But the average car, the rubber hoses and the belts on it will go 90,000 miles. Now, it's seven years or 90,000 miles. Right. That includes a timing belt. You can say, well, my wife don't ever drive that car. It ain't got but 30,000 miles on it, but it's 12 years old. It's way overdue for a belt, a timing belt, because the rubber in the belt dries out, just like a tire. Tire's got a five- or six-year lifespan on a car. It's only got seven in a warehouse where it's never been put on. So you have to remember that you're going to age out sometimes. And it's time to replace those rubber products because of age, not because of mileage. Yeah, I so. got you. Just like replacing things on us. Yeah, well. <laughs> it happens. You, you can say, well, I've never done a lot of exercise. Why are my knees wore out? That's because of age. Yeah. You know. Yeah, well, you've been walking, too. I mean, yeah. it's not just running. It's walking. And yeah. you've been standing. And gravity has been working against you, so keep in mind. The older you get, shorter you get. Gravity's pulling on you all the time. I have lost (laughs) over my 68 in February. I've lost a half an inch. Sure. You're shrinking, Dave. Well, all of those vertebrae are compacting in my my spine. Absolutely. I I understand that. All right, we're going to get to more questions here in a moment. A2309-65 is the number. Uh, we got to get to Rush, because I know that if I didn't take Rush, I'd get a whole lot of calls immediately. So I don't want to do that. 
I want to just make sure that you hear what Rush has to say. He's coming up next here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Tomorrow, Robert Steinbach will be with me. Chris Corbett will be with me. Uh, State Senator Dan Sullivan. And at 730, Rob Nadelson will be with me, our our, uh, constitutional scholar. He'll talk about the whole thing about impeachment for you tomorrow so you can understand, you know, what's going on is not constitutional 25 minutes uh, till seven we've got joe on today talking about your car we like to keep your car running as long as we possibly can but uh, pi roofing wants to make sure that your roof stays together as long as you can as well in fact joel johnson the owner tells you because of the new warranties on a lot of the shingles the the next roof you put on your house should almost be the last roof You've got to put on the house while you own it. So keep that in mind. Call them, 707-3551. Find out why they're saying that. Make the next roof you put on your house be your last roof. 707-3551 or piroofing.com. All right, we've got Brian. He's out in Conway. Hey, Brian, how are you? Hey, Brian. I'm good this, good this morning, guys. How are you? We're Doing fantastic. Good. What uh, What is your problem? Well, I, I, I'm not sure I've got a problem, but I've got a good question for you. Okay. Um, I've got a 2011 Silverado. Runs great. No problems with it. But it's it's got the motor in it that kicks in. It's got four cylinders that kick in and out. Yeah, it's active fuel management is what it's called. So I've got 273,000 miles on it. Still runs like a champ. I love my truck. But I've been told that I could possibly buy a chip that could make it make all four cylinders run and that, that four not kick out like that. It's got a little bit of a shutter at times. Uh, nothing bad, but it's got a little bit of a shutter to it. And I was just curious if that was a possibility to just convert to straight eight all the time. Yeah, you can go in there and you can do what they call a delete on it. Uh, as far as I know, there, there's no restrictions against that. It's a software issue. Uh, actually, on the Internet, you can buy what they call ALDO connector that'll do it. Uh, they sell them for the Dodges. They sell them for the GMs, and you can order one. It's usually about 200 bucks. It's restricted to that vehicle and that vehicle only by the VIN number because you have to kind of set it up for that vehicle. Now, if you take it out yeah. of that one and go put it in another one, some of them, depending on what kind of tuner or programmer you buy, you have to go back in there and change the VIN in. Some of them you just plug in the ALDL. You have a little L, a little LED light comes on and flashes. It'll it'll stop it from using that particular part of the software. And then in some cases we can actually go in there with the tuner and delete that where it won't ask for it and won't call for it. And because that is the weak link in a lot of these valve trains on these engines is the active fuel management or the multiple cylinder displacement whoever designed it the name of it is different but it basically does the same thing goes from eight cylinder to four cylinder when you're on the highway cruising a lot of times you'll get a little bit of a hesitation and a dropout you're like 65 on the freeway and cruising you go to punch it down you're going to feel a hesitation because it's got to get those other four cylinders pumped back up again yeah the suggestion is that if you go out and buy that piece let somebody who knows what they're doing take care of installing it like tom barkley up there by greenbrier with the bumper to bumper certified service station there yeah if, if you buy the the one that plugs in the aldl you just read the instructions on it and plug it in it's no big deal 
If you want to go in there, if you don't want that in your AODL with the LED light on, you're going to have to get somebody to go in there and to delete that program out of there, which it can be done. I'm sure Tom can do it or knows somebody that can. But the, the cost of deleting it's about 200 bucks versus buying the AODL connector still about 200 bucks. It's a $200 deal to get rid of it, basically. Well, that's uh, that's a lot uh, better than what I had been told. I got a good friend that's uh, in the GM business, and his suggestion was sell it. <laughs> and, you know, well, right? he's selling trucks. He's probably wanting you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to sell it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the information. All right. You're very appreciate welcome. It. I'm Thank with you. you. You know, sometimes you get a car or a truck that you like to drive. And you like to drive it. I, I like my Acadia. I really like that car. And when it's running the way it's supposed to, you can't beat it. Just cruising down the highway. I love it. Yeah, I, I understand, Dave. People get attached to their vehicles. They get used to them. They don't want something new. Uh, you know, and, and you know, there's going to come a time in every automobile's life. It's time to say goodbye. Say goodbye to it because <laughs> it'll age out because there will be so many things on it little things here and there that broke and 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 then it's cost preventive to repair everything because you'll be spending more on it than what the vehicle's worth and it's a never-ending story sometimes yeah you know so, how much time do you want your car in the shop yeah and and so you, know, you, you got to make that. a call then and and like i said you know sometimes we try and help folks make those decisions but ultimately it's their call i'll do what everybody wants you know as joe I tell you i don't take my car on uh, you know long trips of you know a thousand miles or something like that i i know that the car is you know going to be 11 years old so i rent a car and and drive those trips but even factoring that in i'm still coming out way ahead at sure. the end of the year well you know a, a lot of uh, if you take a thousand or two thousand mile trip on a, a car that has 10 15 20 years old if it's got a weak spot, there's a good chance it's going to show up on that trip because it's it's very seldom that that car is driven at that extreme speed and mileage mm-hmm. for an extended period of time. Most time it's commuting back and forth to work. And what, what wears and tears on it is different from what wears and tears on the highway at cruising right. speed. So, But if you got a little bit of a weak point there somewhere, it may show up on that trip. And then you're out of town and you're having somebody having to work on it. And that that makes you don't tough. know. But it, if you are a customer of a bumper-to-bumper certified service center, you can always make a phone call and a 1-800 number, and they can find you the local bumper-to-bumper CSC wherever you're broke down at, Dave, and refer you to a shop they know that's going to give you quality work, and that two-year, 24,000-mile warranty comes back home with you right? when you come back home. So a shop here that your local shop you normally use, if it did have a problem, they could repair it here and could take care of it, Dave. Yeah, keep that in mind while you're out there. But I'm hoping I got a few more years before I got to say goodbye I got to, you. to my uh, Acadia. And and here's the key. I, I just paid it off. Yeah. You know, well, you I'm need to enjoy it for several years. It's kind of sure. like when you become an empty nester. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some real benefits to being an empty nester. Yes, you know, mon- monetarily, I can't believe now that the food I'm, bill. Boy, <laughs> my food bill used to be eight a thousand, eight hundred thousand dollars a month with my kids. Now that they're all gone, I'm only paying one hundred and fifty dollars a month for food. It's really You're just amazing. A nibbler. What? You're just a nibbler. 
<laughs> what can I say? Just the way I am. So, so I try, I'm trying to save myself money. Yep. All right. I got a question here from Henry. He's got a 2009 Ford F-250 Super Duty XL 8-cylinder 5.4 liter uh, truck. I'm going to say probably a work truck. Uh, P0191 code changing sensor didn't fix. Now what? Started no notice. It, I noticed it was losing power when accelerating to merge onto the highway. Notice this next time I drove it and check engine light came on. Code reader says it has a P0191 code, fuel rail pressure sensor. Tried replacing the sensor, but it changed nothing. What should I do next? The truck starts every time, no issues there. You only notice the issue when trying to pick up speed to merge into the highway, for example, and or when climbing a hill. It really lags when climbing a hill. Any thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to say probably it's a low fuel pressure problem. Uh, the sensor's not reading low, and, you know, um, you've got desired fuel pressure, and you've got actual. And if they're out of sync, because when you accelerate, you're requiring more Correct. fuel because of its acceleration. This uh-huh. is the easiest way to explain it. And if your pump can't supply enough pressure and volume, the sensor's going to say, we're low, we're low, we're low. You're going to set a code for it. But it could just be the, a weak fuel pump, and the age of that vehicle says that it's probably, that's probably what it is. He's, he's pr- replaced the pressure sensor, so it's not it. It's probably not a circuit problem because you have a code for it saying it's too low. So basically going to have to do a fuel pressure test on it and, and a volume and see if the pump is weak, and most likely it is. All right. Joe has a 2012. By the way, we got these questions that people send in. If you call in at 823-0965, 823-0965, you go to the front of the class. We'll take your call on the air and talk to you directly and uh, and get what question is that you have. So, again, 823-0965. Uh, Joe, Joe says he's got a 2012 Chrysler 200 LX four-cylinder, 2.4-liter engine. says, my car has been having issues with cranking but not starting. After a few tries, it would start until this morning. The car wouldn't start. It still cranks but won't start. I've checked the fuel pump. It kicks on when I turn the ignition to the on position. Well, the age of that vehicle, and I'm going to tell you that one of the most common problems I have with it is a bad crankshaft position sensor. Now, what that sensor does, it, it tells the computer in the car the revolutions of that engine, but it also tells it where top dead center is. So it knows to, when to start the ignition and the fuel injection sequence to start the engine. Those, those particular vehicles, when they get aged like that, they have an issue with the crank sensor working and not working, it can be temperature-related, too. I've seen them where they'll fail when they get hot and the engine will shut off, and you have to sit and wait when it cools off, it'll start and run again. I had an escort that did that consistently. And I've seen them where in the morning when it's cold, they won't work, but if you let out there and you crank and crank and crank enough on it, pretty soon the signal will come through, and boom, it'll start and run. And it'll run all day long till you shut off again and let it get cold again. So... From what I'm getting from what he's written and sent to us, Dave, 
I would be looking very close at the crankshaft position sensor. Now, a lot of times you won't get a code for that on a crank up, but sometimes you will. So you need to hook up to the ALDL and go in there with a scanner, and you can check that crank sensor real quick with a scanner. All you got to do is crank the engine over and see if it shows RPMs. If it doesn't show any RPMs, it ain't going to run, Dave. Yeah. And that's where no I'd be looking. No doubt about that. Right there. that that's, that's elemental mechanics 101. All right. Let's take our break, and it uh, looks like we got another caller coming in. We'll get to them right after the break. St. Clarity Res- uh, Residential Cleaning wants you to remind you that they're ready to come do a deep clean on your house. You can save your wife or your significant other or yourself doing all of that by calling 404-6560, 404-6560, and le- letting St. Clarity Residential Cleaning uh, take care of it for you. Typically, a house of 1,500 square foot or less is $200. Uh, a large house between you know 1,500 and 2,500 is usually $300, unless you call 404-6560, talk to Chuck after 9 o'clock, tell him you want one of those certificates from 1011 FM, The Answer, and the Dave Ellswick Show that will give you 50% off. $100 for a house up to 1,500 square foot, only 150 for a house that's up to 300 square foot. So save your wife or your whoever it is that does your cleaning and yourself or yourself uh, the hassle and let them do the deep cleaning for you. You'll be glad you did. That's St. Clarity Residential Cleaning. Call 404-6560 and get 50% off getting your house deep cleaned. All right, we've got nine minutes left here in the hour, nine minutes left with Joe uh, Smart from Joe's Garage over Crystal Hills Road in North Little Rock. And uh, joining us is Jeff from North Little Rock. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hey, Jeff. Hey, Dave. Just fine. I sure appreciate your program. Thank you. And uh, I've got a question here on a 2004 Chrysler Concord 2.7, and it runs fine. Uh, There's fuel fumes in the cabin when the engine warms up. Fuel fumes in the cabin when the engine warms up. Generally, uh-huh. if, if you're getting fuel fumes in the cabin, there is a leak somewhere. Uh, do you see well, anything uh, leaking on the ground or anything? No, nowhere, and nowhere on the engine. And you're sure it's fuel fumes? It's not some yes. type of uh, odor coming through the AC vents or anything like that? Oh, it's definitely coming through the AC vents, but I don't know how that's happening, and I just it's the strangest thing. Well, if it's coming through the AC vents, if it's actually fuel odor, like raw yes. gasoline smell, it's coming through the fresh air vent, which is up around the cowl, right underneath the hood, right by the windshield. That outside vent is right there. So you have probably got some type of fuel leak on that engine. And most likely, from the year making model, you told me it's probably going to be an injector leaking around the O-rings or where the fuel line, the fuel rail goes on to that injector. And it'll it'll seep well, a little bit, but that, that engine, it gets real hot, and it cooks that uh, gasoline, and that's where you get that raw vapor odor from. And if, if you have that uh, heat or AC on and it's fresh air, it's going to pull those fumes right in there and blow them out the vents. Well, I've checked it, and it's dry as a powder house. Well, the only way you can have fuel vapors in the in in the passenger compartment is through the AC vents, or it'll come up through the back where the fuel tank is, and it may be leaking on top of the tank. But for it to have fuel vapors, you've got a leak somewhere. 
Well, uh, I guess I'll just have to bring it to you, let y'all take a look at it and see what the deal is there, because it's, it's the strangest thing. Well, I'd be happy but to I'm, look at it, you know, and see what's going on uh, if you'll just call the shop and talk to Stephanie and set up an appointment. Because sometimes a fuel can leak a small amount, and you'll never see it drip on the ground because it evaporates. And we, yeah, we see leaks sometimes on the top of the fuel tank where the fuel pump goes in, and you can shut uh-huh. it off and let it set. But you've got some... You know, possibility that the vapors are coming up from back there or underneath the hood in the engine compartment, but that's about the only two ways you can get it in there. Well, listen, I appreciate y'all's program, and God bless you. All Thank right. you. Thanks Thank for your call. Yeah, uh-huh. get over, take it over to Joe's garage. Uh, call him. What's the phone number? 753-4685. Talk to Steph. She'll make your appointment. We'll get it checked and see what's going on. Yeah, they'll, they'll do a good job for you. Steph will take and hand you off over there. Uh, to uh, a gentleman who will set you up an appointment. Yeah, she'll do it for him. Get it taken yep. care. Get, get taken care of. All right, we got six minutes. Get uh, I would say two minutes remaining that you can call in eight two three zero nine six five eight two three zero nine six five. If you got a question, now's the time, or you got to wait till next week to call. Now, if you got a big old eighteen wheeler, you might want to wait till next week. Yep. Duck, Duck will be back. Uh, next week to take your call so uh, let's let's look at one more uh, question that's been sent well we got a call coming in so this this looks like it's going to be pretty quick mark has a 2011 chevy tahoe eight cylinder 5.3 liter alt stop charging after about 50 60 miles and now it's all the time alternator drops off the battery voltage intermittently at first now stays on almost all the time well, it sounds to me like he's got an alternator going out, Dave. Yeah, it's it's giving yeah. up the ghost. It's it's not charging, and and you'll lose power on one when the battery voltage gets low. Uh, these are computer controlled cars. You have to remember that, and they don't work very well when the battery voltage gets below eight or nine volts. They will just they'll start turning other components off so it can keep the engine running. All right, final question today. Here's Jay in Little Rock. Hi, Jay. Hey, Jay. Hey, good morning, guys. Listen, mine's not a question. I just want to make a comment. That's okay. okay. Sure, yes, sir. Just wanted to let. I just want to tell everybody out there that's listening. I use uh, Joe's Garage. I'm not, I'm not paid to do this, but <laughs> I've taken I've taken my wife's RX 350, which is a great new new vehicle, my Honda Accord new vehicle, an old uh, Volkswagen uh, Dune buggy, and uh, I just started using Joe's long ago and i will tell you that their rates are way cheaper than a dealership and they have done everything for me i mean first class and i've always been treated fairly and you can ask them the the big thing about this place is that you can go in there and you there's no question that's a dumb question you can ask them anything and they'll stand there and tell you the mechanic himself joe all of his staff will tell you that you know exactly what's going on with your car so you don't have to worry about somebody you know giving you the, the runaround on something and, and paying too much so that's all i wanted to say i just wanted to just tell you that i'd listen to your program joe and you're awesome uh, good to hear good to hear your voice thank right, you y'all have, great, y'all have a great day thank thanks you. a lot appreciate it well i've yeah. been using jay uh, i've been using joe's garage for 20 years i'm just telling you it, yeah. it's the place to go uh, I've used Duck a couple of times too. His is a place to go. All of the 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 the, the service centers from bumper to bumper all work under the same code of ethics, and they they all will do what they do at Joe's. They'll stand there and talk to you and explain what's going down. 
I would like to tell Jay thank you very much for calling in and saying that. In 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 my business, a lot of times you don't get to hear the good stuff. You know, in today's <laughs> world, a lot of people, uh, you know, with social media and everything that goes on, it, it, it's it's and and if you're if you're in the automotive repair business, and Dave, we've talked about this before. Folks have called in, said they had it at another shop, yeah, and yeah, they've been in there complaining about it. And the first thing I ask them, have you taken it back? Well, no. I said, well, you know, that guy over there that did that where he don't know you're having trouble t- unless you let him know and go back and give him an opportunity to do the right thing. To fix it. Yeah. But if you don't tell him, they never know. So, and, and Jay, thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. But I will say, there are places you go where they work on your car, but then there's places like Joe's and Duck's and, and uh, you know, some of the other guys that, you know, uh, uh, Kenneth and... And Gary and all the rest of them, they fix your car. And there's a big difference. Yes, there is. All right, Joe, thanks for coming in. Thank you, Dave. Always a pleasure. Tomorrow, 6 a.m., don't forget Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett, State Senator Dan Sullivan, and my constitutional scholar, uh, Nadelson, will be here. Professor Nadelson will be on. He'll talk about this whole impeachment thing. Is it constitutional? You'll give us the answer tomorrow. I'll guarantee it here on the Dave Ellswick Show. See you at 6 a.m.